thanks for joining us. I hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, we really wanted to just do this in the midst of uh, so much uncertainty around the college process for 21. And also, without the ability to have summer camps, we really wanted to be able to give you something beyond free training this summer. So we figured we would do a webinar on college counseling, um, which is something that we have done for 10 years. So uh, we're going to uh, talk about important steps to take in the recruiting process and the information to pay attention to. Some of the, uh, the items that we'll be talking about will be based on questions our listeners submitted while uh, also just addressing key ideas that we feel you should know about. Um, we'll touch on four different areas, general recruiting knowledge, so branding, so who you are as a recruit, communication, the do's and don'ts of, in talking to coaches, and what to expect uh, with the admissions process. What we know, which is, it's obviously very different. You know, there was an article in the Washington Post this morning about test optional, um, how a number of IVs have gone that way, but it's not necessarily that way for athletes, which is interesting. Um, what we don't know and what we should be ready for. Uh, we'll wrap our, up our thoughts with predictions on what we know about future changes and hopefully leave some time for questions at the end. Um, I do wanna kind of preface all of this by coming to a basic assertion that we, you know, we wrote a book on the rowing and recruiting process, specifically for rowers and coxswains, and, and kind of the main assertion in that book that we came out with in February was that uh, the process is different from other sports because we're the latest start sport you can do in college. You know, most people are not starting rowing until 14 or 15. It, that's very different, vastly different compared to soccer, compared to hockey or any of the other sports that uh, you're familiar with the recruiting process for. And as a result, that changes the dynamics. It changes the dynamics for collegiate recruiters and it changes the dynamics for families seeking orientation to what is this and how does it work? And, uh, and so it's our hope today to provide some orientation to that. So with that, I will turn it over to Katie Lane. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Um, we're all really excited to be here. So before we really go just or diving right into it, I thought we could take some time to introduce ourselves. So I am going to kick it back over to Ryan, who introduced the, the podcast itself. Um, so Ryan, give us a little bit of background on you. My name is Ryan Sparks. Uh, I've been doing college counseling and rowing camps for kids who want to row in college now for 10 years. Prior to that, I I uh, coached at Yale, um, I coached at Bates, I coached at Wesleyan, I coached with the U.S. team, um, and am very interested in the way that experience in the sport impacts formative development. Very cool. And we also have David Feinberg joining us. David, would you mind introducing yourself? Not at all. Good evening or good afternoon, everybody. Again, my name is David Feinberg. I run a company that's a college counseling company called Syzygy, try to spell that global education. And whereas Ryan and Sparks are expert at all things rowing, we are expert at all things admissions beyond rowing. So we will help with where to apply on gaining admittance. We do huge amounts of work on the essay process. We work on standardizing testing strategies and do an awful lot with scholarships and uh, special programs. Um, you can reach us on email. Katie, are we gonna have email addresses out afterwards or should I mention that right now? Well, we can do that right at the end. Okay, so I will leave that till then and that's a brief introduction. 
Perfect. Well, thanks, David. I, my name's Katie Lane. I've been a part of the Sparks family for about two, three years now. And anything from coaching at the UPenn camps over the summer to the Coxon camps in Sarasota, I really enjoy getting to work with Ryan and all the other people involved. My background comes from 10 years of college coaching. I recently stepped aside from coaching uh, to do some college counseling with Ryan, but I'm also the director of business development and Northeast sales manager for Rowers Choice. So stepped away from coaching, but you know, trying to make a bigger impact on a, on a grander level. So we're all really excited to be able to share our expertise with you, give you some invite or insights to what we believe are tricks of the trade and how to navigate the recruiting process. So with that, we're just going to start going through a bunch of questions. Um, hopefully this broadcast is going to be recorded so you can certainly go back. We're going to try and throw a lot of information at you, but hopefully it's all stuff that is going to be useful. So with that, uh, we're going to dive straight into some general recruiting stuff, um, and it's going to be more sport related than anything else. But first question, uh, what's the difference between division one, two, and three? Ryan, you want to take that? I think that it's, it's, it's an interesting question because it comes up a ton, but what's fascinating about it is, you know, your gut instinct is to start to really outline differences in the sport of rowing. But in reality, compared to a sport like football, we're very similar. There are division three teams that can beat the pants off division one teams. And there's definitely division one teams that are very, very fast. It's, I would prefer to look at it more if you're going to think about teams on a spectrum and what differentiates them in so far as their recruiting power and the amount of financial resources they have available. Teams that have a lot of recruiting power and financial resources tend to recruit semi-professional athletes. That tends to be a, an environment where the athletes are managed uh, and performance is produced as a product of that management rather than developed. Developed being the kind of the classic team idea where you have, you know, you've got people who walk onto the team who've never rode before and then four years they're racing on the highest level. Um, that's a D3 ideal, um, most likely, or a club ideal, uh, whereas you could kind of loosely attribute Division One to the management uh, thing that I first talked about. However, there's definitely D1 teams that are developmental teams, and there's definitely D3 teams that have a ton of recruiting spots. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say length of season is a little different in that D1, you're going to be rowing most of the time uh, versus a D3 team, which is, you know, 19 weeks out of the year seven weeks in the fall, 12 weeks in the spring. That's to say, though, I'm not talking about D2, if you're noticing that. And the reason for that is because we, we really kind of lump D2 into D1 because there's not a lot of D2 rowing. Right, right. I mean, that hits the nail right on the head. You know, with rowing across all three tiers, the premise is still the same. You're going to commit to a team, you're going to work hard, but the amount of time that you participate in sport-related activities is going to change. You know, in Division Three, it's a lot more on your own independent stuff when you're in the off-season, whereas Division One, you have a little bit more guidance and a little bit more involvement on the coaching staff. So it's a little bit more formal. Um, but as Ryan mentioned, and we'll get into this, there are different levels of recruiting at Division One, Two, II, and Three. Um, but we'll get into that terminology a little bit later. Um, when can I start talking to coaches? Uh, well, I'll kick this off. So today's actually a big day. Um, June 15th is the first day that coaches can contact you as prospective athletes. And uh, not all of you, but the ones that are rising juniors. So those who are just starting the, the college search, like this is the time where you might get phone calls, you might get emails to open up the lines of communication to hopefully find your ideal school. Um, so 
but looking at the traditional way of how do you start talking to coaches um, or when do you start talking to coaches, you can fill out a questionnaire on an athletics website. You can send a coach an email at any time where the limitations come in are when the coach can contact you back and, and engage in conversation with you. So it, one of the things I always say is you're going to have to fill out a questionnaire at one point or another. So you might as well do that sooner rather than later and then follow up with an email, especially for juniors right now, because this is your time. Then you're telling the coach to say, Hey, I just filled out a questionnaire and I want to learn more. Um, and then you can kind of take it from there. Do but, not... Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go sorry. Ahead. Sorry. Ahead. I'm getting excited about this. We are not lacrosse or baseball. So if you're not getting, you know, emails from coaches as a junior rising into senior or as a rising junior, as a coming out of sophomore year, you're, you're in, you're still in like with 99% of other recruits, FYI. Right. Um, the majority of recruits who are, who are talking to coaches right now are rising seniors. And that's just, that's a function of how small our staffs are in rowing. But it's also, again, a function of the fact that you, if you start the sport at 14, college coaches want to talk to you maybe at 16 after you've had a little time to mature in the sport, after your metrics are a little bit more established. Like mm -hmm. it, it tends to be a little bit counterproductive for college coaches to talk to rising juniors because, you know, they haven't thrown a fastball for 10 years. Right. Right. So I think what you'll find, and again, we're going to continue to talk about this through the next hour, but the NCAA is an ever changing set of rules. And I think what we're starting to see is that they're adopting more of these early practices to align with other sports, but we're the last ones really in line. Um, everybody else is a little bit earlier, but moving on to this actually question would be for David. Um, when does somebody, when does a student need to start preparing for standardized testing in your, in your experience? Why, what timeline do you give them? Well, like so many questions when it comes to um, college recruiting and college counseling, the answer is it depends. It's really individual and it depends on the person. What we like to do for most students, and again, I stress it's most, not everyone, is start after they're done with their sophomore year. So the first thing they would do is they would take a diagnostic exam. They would take both the ACT and the SAT, no need to study, in fact, better if you don't study. And the, the role of this exam is not to do well, but just to see which exam fits you best. And then you go down the path, either with self-study or with tutoring, of taking that individual exam. And after the sophomore year, usually you've covered most of the material. You have time during the summer, which is usually a less stressful time and a better time to do it. And then it allows you a lot of opportunity to take the test multiple times. Now, that being said, the testing world is in turmoil right now, as a lot of you probably know, with schools going to test optional for this year, schools reevaluating for future years, with problems with giving and sitting and taking the SAT or the ACT. So the advice is really watch that space very closely because there's a lot of change that's anticipated and is likely to happen moving forward. Right, right, absolutely. Um, what course, so this is also, and David and Ryan, we can all kind of pitch into this one. So what courses should, athletes be taking or prospective student athletes be taking, you know, their sophomore, their junior, their senior year. Certainly there's the ever so obvious, you know, the more rigor, the better, especially if you're trying to get into a competitive institution. But what trends have you noticed that 
people should follow, whether it's taking classes, uh, taking an English, or excuse me, taking a language class all four years. Are there any other trends that people should be aware of? Well, I can start. First of all, I disagree with the more rigor, the better. I know when you go around and you talk to colleges, they say we want to see a rigorous curriculum. Um, and rigor is good if you can handle the rigor. And what you have to do is what's appropriate for you and what's reasonable for you. And particularly if you're engaged in rowing, um, I'm the only non-rower in the bunch. So I'm in awe of what these people do and what they go through and the time commitment that it takes. Um, that's a significant commitment and there's a lot going on in your life. So what's more important than taking rigor is take rigor that's appropriate for your circumstances. And college admissions officers know that. They know how intense rowing is. They know what it takes. And they'll take that into consideration. So what I, again, what we typically recommend is take what you love, take what you enjoy, and take what's appropriate for the level of stress and the level of time that you have. Very good. Ryan, how would I know if schools have scholarships or the ability to provide athletic assistance? It's an interesting uh, question. Um, so we actually maintain a database on our website uh, that does give some, some stats as to uh, athletic budgeting on teams. However, scholarship dollars available is, is uh, typically something you're going to want to check on the team's website. Um, and so far as whether they're advertising scholarships, what does that look like? Um, the US, uh, U.S. Department of Education maintains a database called Equity and Athletics. That is the number one and best source of data uh, insofar as team funding. And it doesn't, you know, I will say like the problem with that database is that uh, there is, there's a lot of incongruency between conferences and the way they report. Um, but it, it begins to get fairly easy to, to look at, for instance, the amount of scholarship dollars an institution has. Um, it becomes harder when you begin to try and drill down on how many rides, how much money per year, uh, how many of those are allocated? How much is available for this class? The, that type of information is typically held more close to the vest by coaching staff. And as a result, that really involves a conversation with the recruiter um, in terms of really understanding what, what is possible. And I would say that's, that's a second-based conversation in some ways. In some ways, you got to kind of have to get in the door with an ERG score and academics before you start talking about money. Um, if you really want to have a productive conversation in regards to a particular team situation. I will also add the majority of rowing scholarships are partial. Um, that said, there are a, there is a, there's a good amount of money out there, particularly on the women's side, though I have seen uh, money being offered on the men's side to people without any experience at particular schools as well. So I will say like on the men's side, it's, it's harder to come by for the most part. However, depending on your school choice, and there are schools out there that you may or may not have heard of um, that, that do have money on the men's side, uh, that they're interested in investing in experienced athletes that are not going 605. So um, it's, it's, the scholarship game is a tricky one. Um, and if anybody tells you differently, they're not telling you the truth. <laughs> right. So pretty much all in all, Talk to the coach, get to know the coach first before you're automatically jumping into the idea of money. You certainly want to fall in love with the school, fall in love with the program before you think that, oh, wait, is there money here? Like, go with your gut, get, get the facts. But that being said, we're going to, like, those kind, or excuse me, those questions where 
a way to open up the conversation. So now we're gonna dive into more targeted areas. So the next, uh, next area that we're gonna start to cover, and I know that there's some questions coming in, um, but the next area that we're gonna start to cover is communication. So it's, or excuse me, it's branding. But you know, branding you yourself as a prospective student athlete are your own brand. And whether you wanna look at it as you know, how you come off to coaches, what you believe in, like you're making your own brand now. You're telling your, your own story. You're crafting your own story. So first question is, what does a potential coach need to know about you in order to understand you? I, I'm going to go ahead and take the lead on this one. Please. Yeah. But, well, I think it's important to, to preface that Katie was recruiting at Penn until March of this year. Um, I've been recruiting for um, the past really eight years, uh, both at the division three level, division one, I handled scholarships. And then most recently I was over at Penn. Um, so when I got an, when I would get an email from a new recruiter's prospective recruit, what would I want to know? You know, I would want to know what they stand for. I would want to know what their goals are. Not let, not that they just want a big team community. I wanted to know what was specific about them. You know, what are they most proud of? What are their challenges that they've had? Like, what are their main experiences that really stick out? Um, and so those are types of things, like as you prepare to connect with coaches that I want you to like, that you should think about values, goals, experiences, strengths, challenges. I try and stray away from the idea of weaknesses because I don't think that anybody's weak. They're just challenged by other things. So as you like think about who you are, see if you can put it in like nice, tight, wrapped up, cohesive sentences. My value is communication. I'm a huge geek about it. And like, I can say that effective communication is the key to anything. That's my way that I express it. And that's pretty much the basis to my story is Ryan and a lot of you listening can attest to it. Um, but think about who you are and what you want the coach to know. The coach doesn't need to know what you ate for breakfast, but like the coach wants to know about that time that you went on a service trip that you displayed a lot of leadership and you inspired other people. Like think about what you want the coach to know about you. Then you go back and figure out how to say it. Second thing that kind of ties into it. They want to, or what type of athlete or coxswain are you? This is something you want to think about. If a coach that you're talking to asks of, well, how would you describe yourself as an athlete or what type of coxswain are you? You can't just sit there and be like, uh, a competitive one. I like to work hard. Like, you need a little bit more sustenance to that. I'm the coxswain who, you know, I lead by example. Um, I do the work on, on the outside, um, behind the scenes, or, you know, I really engage with my coach and, and want to learn how they view the sport, their philosophy as a rower. It's like, I'm somebody who loves to sprint. Like you get me in that boat in the last 300 meters, like going bow ball to bow ball. That's where I excel. Like kind of being able to tell the type of athlete you are to the coach. And again, a very just concise way is important. Ryan, do you have anything to add to that? I just think, I think that narrative shapes the idea of retention. And again, I'm going to bring it back to we're a late start sport. Um, we have horrible retention on the collegiate level mm -hmm. and rowing particularly is popular at, at academic schools. So we switched the conversation from scholarships as an incentive to coming to an, an admittance to a prestigious academic university. After that admittance occurs as a, as a result of kind of being recruited, there isn't anything to hold the athlete in place for the next four years. They can quit the first week, 
if they want to and not suffer any damage. It's not like a scholarship is holding them in place. So it's important to say that a recruiting, a recruiter is looking for values, but part of the kind of underpinning of that across the rowing world is you need someone of good character if they're going to actually stay true to the commitment they're giving you because sometimes they've rowed for three years and you're asking them for a four-year commitment on a much more intense level than they, they're, they're familiar with. And as a result, we really care, I mean, about retention in the sport and it's a problem. So the narrative that you shape, you know, enables a coach to really evaluate, is this somebody who's going to be around for four years? Can I count on this person? Particularly if you're a coxswain, particularly if you're a coxswain, because ultimately nobody wants to, to recruit like a halfway dedicated coxswain, even if they're good at it. Right. Right. Absolutely. If you're looking at rowing as a way just to get you into college, I think I can speak on behalf of Ryan and say, don't abuse the system. There are plenty of people out there that want to have the opportunity to compete for four years or be a part of a team and make an impact over four years. And if you're going into college thinking, you know, I'll do it for one year and then I'll, then I'll go ahead and back off. Like I would reevaluate how much you're going to get out of that one year versus, you know, being able to explore other things. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. I would also think, I mean, that's not what the coach who's, that's not, you know, I've seen families that have encouraged their students to do that, such as to gain entrance, entrance to a prestigious educate, education. But the problem with that is the prestigious education begins with a lie. <laughs> so I don't know what you're educating, but I don't think it's actually educating anything honorable. Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And they, these other kind of questions, these two kind of come back into what we just talked about. You know, how can you shape your brand? Like, great, you have, the, I use the word brand. Um, I'm also kind of a marketing geek, but brand, message, story, however you want to phrase it, how can you shape it, right? How, how can you display it to the coach? How can you talk about it? Um, I like to think of your choice of language, you know, how you communicate, you know, the words that you use, are they effectively communicating what you want them to? Are you organized with your thoughts? You know, are you organized about the whole recruiting experience? Um, that all is going to stand out to the coach. If you kind of come on a call of like, Oh, I wasn't really prepared for this. Oh, I can think of questions. Um, I mean, it kind of shows to the coach that you didn't really invest a lot of the work ahead of time. So you want to know, you want the coach to know that, Hey, I'm very interested in what's going on. I'm organized. I've researched that your school won their regional championship for the first time in four years. That's awesome. Come prepared. And the coach is going to pick up on these tendencies, not even just with what you're saying, but how you're saying it. I, think, um, well, I, I just wanted to jump into the last kind of piece of this, which is, what's going on right now hmm. um, in that, to be honest, the coronavirus, the cancellation of all rowing, you know, this summer, last spring, potentially next fall, there is the beginning of an interesting story for recruiting purposes, to be honest. What did you, how did you do? What did you do with this time? You know, hmm. did you train like Rocky and run up mountains and lift like racks of lamb in your, you know, barn or did Obviously. you, <laughs> did you, did you decide that because no one else was giving you any impetus to train that you wouldn't either? Um, I recognize that being stuck on your erg in the basement, is, you know, for months on end is in, inhuman. And I don't think that you should do that. I don't think anyone expects that you're able to do that mm -hmm. uh, without some social support and some fun. So I'm not saying that you need to like, you know, put in hundred K a week in your basement and on the erg alone. 
and for coxswains, I, I'm not saying that you need to go and, and actually, you know, run through race tapes every day. But to be honest, I think coxswains actually have more of an opportunity right now in that uh, there is plenty of things they can do to improve their rowing IQ while we're going through this and lead their teams who are suffering from low morale while we're going through this. Uh, mm -hmm. Rowers have a harder, have a harder shtick. So. Right. right. I think that with both parties though, the rowers and the coxswains, like a lot of time can be invested in how you communicate. Again, this is where my nerd hat comes on of, you know, you can research of, you know, good public speakers, what makes them captivating? You know, what makes people want to follow them? Like what's their messaging? Um, and it's certainly, yeah, you can build your rowing knowledge, but you can also take influence from, you know, people out there that have a very strong voice. Um, so I think that that's also pretty important too. Um, we do have a question. I'm going to insert this now. So we were going to talk about what can I be doing now to improve my skills as a rower and as a coxswain. And the question from a rising junior is what should coxswains do who need audio for coaches, but don't have it right now and won't get more until the fall. Um, Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and let you take the coxswain standpoint for right now, because I know that we, we at Sparks have a lot of stuff going on. Do you want to touch upon that? I'm happy to. Um, I think I'm going to draw, you know, and if you're out there, you know, keep your humility down. But, but I, I have a client right now who is, has done a very good job and I would say is probably in the top three to five on the men's side on the cox for coxswains. And, um, has done a fair amount of work on coxing, like finding races on YouTube and actually using that race to cox and then being courageous enough to actually share that with recruiters where, you know, the recruiter's like, well, what can you give me to prove your quality? And, you know, he's actually providing this tape that he coxed. Um, that is a step out because to be honest, I think it would scare some kids to do that. Um, but that's to say that has helped him tremendously. I think as a rising junior, you're not, you may not get audio this fall. You can definitely cox some, some YouTube videos. Um, I also think that you can really work through, and as you do that, you should record yourself, begin to look at the number of syllables you're using, cutting those syllables down. I also think that you can begin to look at race courses and, and how to analyze them. I also think you should understand the rowing stroke and be able to talk about that. I also think you need to understand how rowing training works, the basics of rowing physiology. And I think you need to be able to talk about that come next, next winter when you really start having conversations with coaches. So, so there's more than you, that you can do than just audio. I do think you can do audio in a weird way. It's going to scare you a little bit, but I also think that there's other things you can do um, as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Ryan, we've got a handful of stuff going right now. We've got the Cox and e-learning courses. A lot of coaches are investing in that are, um, taking coxswains a little bit more of an integrated course. Um, and I know that there's a couple other programs out there too that are doing coxswain focused training. Um, but the rowers out there, you know, you can be doing a lot of the same stuff. You know, certainly as Ryan said, there's the ability to go sit down in an erg and just crank away meters, but you yourself can also take a look at video to analyze like what you see, you know, have conversations with friends or coaches to say, Hey, I watched this video and I saw this you know, what makes this different than what, from what I'm doing? How is this more effective? So rowers themselves as well can get a little bit more savvy um, in the area of rowing terminology, um, whether it's, hey, you're a high school guy and junior and like you're watching like the big Harvard guys like beat up on everybody else or 
you know, you're somebody who is interested in um, just learning more, you can listen to pot or like webinars from Steve Gladstone or anything like that. There's a lot of online resources. And I know that we've had a tremendous amount of screen time. And I, I can speak on behalf of all of us sitting on this call that we've been Zooming quite a lot, um, but there are a lot of good resources out there. So um, I wanted to toss in that, that I think that one of the recruitable factors that tends to, to make recruits far more interesting after they've passed initial guidelines between academics and ERG score. And, you know, if you're, by the way, so first of all, we're offering free training for cockpits and for rowers. If you're interested, you can get in touch with us on intercom. You can, you can touch base with us on, you can touch base with us. You can DM us. It doesn't matter we'll, we'll, we can hook you up into that if you want that. Um, so we're offering free and paid programs, but free programs. Second, um, rowing IQ is, is a, not very much appreciated, but important aspect of recruiting. Uh, so, so much so that, you know, Katie's mentioning Steve Gladstone, who's kind of the father of like the way that modern recruiting works in the division one level. And uh, at least on the men's side. And, uh, and I know men's coaches out there are bristling at that because they thought about it themselves. But that said, Steve did it first in, in the late 90s. Um, but that's to say, uh, he, he, he values foreign talent because he thinks they have higher rowing and racing IQs because they race and row more and they start earlier. So, I mean, there's something to that. And I think that a lot of recruiters are looking for an athlete that really does can self-manage their own training program or understands that. And as a result, even if you don't do 100K in your basement this summer, if you can self-manage yourself and be able to demonstrate that, that might be enough. Great. Go ahead and crank right into next group. Uh, communication, my specialty. Um, first and foremost, how do you start communicating with a coach? Um, we talked about it a little bit. Um, you know, very much start with a questionnaire. Start with an email, not the questionnaire. Not, not trying to do anything formal, not trying to go above and beyond. Introduce yourself, basic facts. Hey, I fill out the questionnaire and you use the words, I'm interested in learning more. Plain and simple. Like that's a very easy way to start communicating with a coach. If you want to, you know, certainly you can look up their office number and give them a call. I would say right now, given the landscape, very few rowing coaches are actually in their offices. Um, so unless their cell phone is published online, uh, which is sometimes the case, um, it's really best just to start with an email and a questionnaire. Ryan, would you disagree or agree? No, I agree. I agree. Okay. Um, how do you set up a call? Again, you engage with the coach a little bit via email. You filled out the questionnaire. You're doing all of your, all of the necessary steps so they get the most information from you. And you can say, hey, I'd love to connect. You know, is there a time that you're free? Um, or the coach may come back and say that first. Let's set up a time where we can jump on the phone. Let me know when you've got free time. But the idea, if you go back and forth over email as your main form of communication, that's not a bad thing. You know, maybe it's the way that you feel more comfortable communicating, or maybe it's the way the coach feels more comfortable communicating, but it's okay to ask for a call. Hey, I would love to, I would love to jump on the phone to learn more about your program. I'm really interested in this. The worst that any coach is going to say at any point in this process is no. And it's not because no, you suck. It's just, no, you know, that we're just not interested or this doesn't really jive or I can't really do this at the moment. Like I'm going on vacation, but we have to learn to be okay with hearing those throughout this whole experience. So, um, 
Ryan, what do you think recruits need to be prepared to answer on a call with a coach? I think it's important to look at the recruiting process as your first real job application process. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really shouldn't, you should, you really should take that seriously because the coaches are definitely taking it seriously. You're not being looked at as a child. You're not being looked at as a student. You're being looked at as a performance asset mm-hmm. on some level performance asset. So what does that mean? It means that effectively, if you don't show up prepared, you're going to be evaluated accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't engage well, you're going to be evaluated pretty brutally. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and, you know, I, I think that that's, that's a big change for a number of people because they've never really been in a process that's this competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly on the Coxon side, it is incredibly competitive, obviously, because a lot of teams are only recruiting one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's that piece of it. But even on the rowing side, when you look at brackets like lightweight men's rowing that have crazy low erg score requirements, like 630 or better, and crazy high grade requirements, you'd think that would be it. But that's just the initial gateway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after that, recruits are absolutely evaluated based on their character. Um, and so suffice it to say, you have to be prepared. You have to know how many kids are on the team. You have to know, you know, have a fairly reasonable idea of what their season looks like or how how practices work what you don't want to be asking are are questions that you can find on the website what you do want to be asking are questions that play into the personality of the way the the program works the way the students relate to each other information that you cannot get other than talking to somebody associated with it and engagement is crucial engagement is absolutely crucial in terms of being able to uh, make it through the process so again we talk about like that erg score academic kind of initial opening and for coxswains it's really just academic right mm-hmm. um and whatever your first email says and then that's to say from there if unless you're able to show a high level of engagement or interest in the school again we come back to the concept of retention if there's not a high level of engagement what is the guarantee you're going to retain some coach has to convince you to come there that doesn't really instill a lot of faith in the in the part of the coach mm-hmm. who is is having to convince you that this is a good place to be that that coach is going to retain you when they get you on a roster with 40 other kids and they can't give you, you know, an hour by hour kind of attention span. So suffice this to say, you know, it's very important to uh, engage, engage, engage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the, the questions in the first couple of calls that you can expect are going to be like, all right, you know, tell me about memorable experiences. Some may ask, tell me about a time that you failed. Tell me a time that, you thought that you would be a great, or that you thought you displayed great leadership. Um, tell me about the goals that you have for college. Like, what else do you do outside of rowing? Because also they're trying to get to know you as a person, not just an athlete, just as an athlete. Um, so think of it as like, as Ryan alluded to, a job interview in some sense, but say that you're meeting somebody new that like moved in next door and you're getting to know them, right? What do you want to know about them? All right. I would want to know like what their experience is, like, you know, where they've gone to school. Um, and so it's a very, you can, you can compare it to a lot of different situations. Um, Ryan, I'm also going to go back and I agree with you of the sense that people are going to get brutally evaluated if they're not prepared and all that. But I will say it's okay to slip up every now and then your first phone call with a coach, the first one that you pick up, I would be shocked if it's perfect. Right. There's going to be times where you like trip over your words. There's going to be times that you may get caught off guard and the silence may be awkward, but that's okay because the more practice that you have with it, the more calls that you have, the more you're going to learn. 
It's like riding a bike coming off of training wheels. Like, you know where you're going to get to. You're eventually going to like get the flow of it. You're going to be able to stay up and not fall off, but it may take you to fall off a couple times and hiccup a couple times to be able to figure it out. So yes, the, the ideas of these phone calls are certainly significant. They bring a lot of weight into how the coach is going to view you, but they also know that you're human. They also know that you're in high school, that you're still figuring a lot out. There's COVID going on. There's a lot of other stuff going on. It's okay to trip up as you get started. Um, but let's come back to the idea of an email for a minute. Ryan, what information do you think you need in an email? Say that I am a prospective student and I'm emailing you the coach of Chair University, right? What do I need to tell you in my first email? First, a first email really disqualifies whether you're within kind of the, the, the interest spectrum for a team. So, you know, that it contains a 2K, typically a GPA, standardized testing results if applicable, uh, height, weight, and team information. Um, and ideally, it's personalized in so far as why you're actually interested in the school. If it has a particular major you want, or if it is of interest because of whatever. Um, but it needs to be somewhat personalized. In other words, you shouldn't just copy and paste that stuff. Um, and the way the recruiter is looking at it is, okay, you know, that ERC score with that height and weight with this amount of experience, I should have mentioned years of experience, that also goes in there. Um, these academics are admissible. That's all the coach is thinking. They're not thinking, you know, with this particular SAT and this grade on the transcript, like it's, it's you know, it's, it's potentially this way. They're just saying, okay, that GPA looks okay. That ERC score for this time of the year, for that amount of experience, for that height and weight, okay, that, that's, that's within range for us they're actually, they're sincerely interested in the school. Okay. I'm going to reply to that. You may have to follow up on that a few times to actually get a reply too, because of how busy these folks are. But that's to say it's, it's just kind of an initial screening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's very basic. You don't need your life saga in there. You don't need an epic novel. You want to tell them, all right, who you are, where you're from, whether you're a rower or a coxswain, you can maybe list out like, like your middle accomplishment of, you know, I recently did this, but you don't want to get too much into the detail. As Ryan said, you do want to put a line in there showing your interest in the school that you have researched it. Um, you do want to make sure that you double and triple check your emails. There should not just be a generic copy and paste template that you use. You can have a general idea, but each email should be tailored to that school. Um, the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, if you take a look at your phone, Right. I've got a, I think I have a seven or eight plus. I think it's an eight plus. When you send an email, it Very shouldn't, fancy. what? Very fancy. Yeah, I try. Um, Sorry. <laughs> but when you, <laughs> um, when you send an email, it shouldn't take the coach to scroll down to read more about it. Like you want to be that just simple and, Hey, I'm interested. My name's this. I go to school here. If you uh, row for a club, you can go ahead and put your club name. There's no need to repeat the school if it's the school team. Um, give a brief academic uh, connection, or excuse me, academic fact, but it should be able to read on one screen. That opens the doorway to another conversation. So um, that's kind of that. Let's go. I know that we're starting to get crunched on time. So the, the last question I'm going to leave in the communications department should I reach out to the head coach, assistant coach, or both when emailing? 
And the question that I got more recently was, what if a recruiting coordinator isn't listed? Do I email the head coach? Do I email the assistant coach? Ryan, what do you think? I think it really depends on the school. Um, I'm interested in the policy answer, Katie, because I don't have one. I mean, I, I typically, with clients of mine, I'll, I'll just basically assess who does the talking to the recruits mm -hmm. at this point. I'm a little biased having done this for so long because I, I know that this head coach handles recruiting or this recruiter mm -hmm. is experienced enough or this recruiter is really inexperienced, so the head coach should be CC'd. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the way that I typically handle it. But what's your think, blanket response policy? I'll give you a little bit more, but I, again, I think it's, it's true as well. Like you can kind of look at there's sometimes there's usually a recruiting coordinator, or if you read their bios, you might pick up on a little terminology that would indicate that a certain coach does more recruiting than others. But what I would also say is that if you're really confused, email the head coach and CC the assistant because often if the head coach isn't the one that does the recruiting they're going to pass it off to the assistant anyway so it's just kind of like everything is there um but if there's an identified recruiting coordinator start there but if you can't tell i would email the head coach but cc the assistant because they're ultimately going to be the ones that you're going to have uh, the most contact with so um we're going to jump into admissions expectations um david do we still have you here I'm still here. Perfect. Um, can we talk about general ad academic guidelines for different tiers of schools, whether it's, you know, Ivy, whether it's private, public, like just on a very broad scheme of things, what are the main differences that prospective student athletes should be aware of? And, and thank you, David, for sitting through the whole, the whole sport specific recruiting spiel that we just did. You're very welcome. Um, let me just say one thing. Um, well, there's, I don't think of it almost as tiers of schools, there's gradations of schools. And every school is different and they don't all look at the same things. So mm -hmm. academic expectations for the top you know, tier schools are obviously gonna be different than the lower tier school. Mm -hmm. And it starts very high and it goes down very low in terms of grades, SAT scores, ACT scores, and other. We're in, let me handle it a little bit question, differently because I think kind of the, it's, it's hard in a short period of time to answer a question like that without getting very specific. But what I would say is that we're a very interesting period right now. Schools are going test optional. So one of the key metrics that they are looking at are not disappearing, but are changing. Secondly, grading is different between schools. Some schools now have gone to pass fail. For the, for the spring. Some have continued uh, with grading. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of difference. And what that really means is there's more flexibility. And it, you as a student can have more control over the process than you ever have. So if you reach out and in your conversations with coaches or admissions counselors or people, really know not just what's good about you, but how you fit that institution and why you're right for that institution. So if I'm talking to Katie, when she, if she was still at Penn, I wouldn't just be talking about rowing. I'd be talking about um, perhaps the Huntsman program, the joint degree program between Wharton 
um, and the university, if that's something of interest to me. I'd be talking about professors. I'd be get, talking about courses. I'd be getting very, very specific and make it really clear to her that I have an interest in the university, even if I'm not going to be recruited. And in this time now, you can show demonstrated interest and you can reach out in creative and different ways. And it's not easy to do research because you can't visit the schools in the way you used to. But again, it makes it easier for you to differentiate yourself. So really try to differentiate yourself and don't be overly worried about what the school says you need initially. You know, if you don't have what you need, they'll let you know, but really go for it and try to convince them that you fit the school very well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and that's a good way, great way to put it. It more so than anything else beyond this recruiting experience, we as recruiters want to make sure that the athlete falls in love with the school first. Because if the athlete doesn't love the school, and they then they get there and they don't love the rowing program, I mean we can as, might as well show them the door. They're going to be out of there so quick. So it, when it comes down to it, athletics is something that you do and what you want to be able to find in a college is somewhere that you can really excel and get a good education on the off chance that for whatever reason rowing doesn't happen you know you um you break a leg and you're out for the season like if that isn't there is that going to make or break your college experience so you want to make sure that you identify just like as david said you want to identify with a school you want to you want to do your research you want to do your due diligence in finding what's right for you the rowing program, like, then that's a whole different story because now once you found the, the type of school that you want, then you can take a look at the rowing program and you'll find that there's usually more than one type of school that fits your requirements and fits your expectations. And that's where you can start to get a little picky. So um, how do schools rank recruits? Um, this is something that is going to differ between division one, two, and three. Ryan, do you want to touch upon that? That is a huge subject, as David kind of just said. Um, that is the academic, I mean, let's just, let's just talk in broad terms about the differences. And we're not going to go further, further than that right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about there being bands that are letter, letter graded within the Division Three uh, scene. And we can talk about how the Ivy League uses academic index. Um, which is uh, a algorithm that does take into account currently SAT or ACT scores, GPA, uh, amongst other things, and spits out a number between 170 and 240. Um, every recruit is given a number, then the recruiting class must hit an average uh, that is given to the team by admissions. Uh, so that is the way that it works in the Ivy League. And then, you know, if we talk about other schools like you know Virginia it's totally different Virginia you know on the women's side tends to need to issue what they call grant and aid or scholarship money of some form if they want to support someone through admissions and as a result you know even if it's just books so that's to say there are you know there is a bureaucratic process for for ranking recruits uh, it differs even within a conference even within the Ivy League the AI might be used but the way the AI is used in the ranking of those recruits might be very different based on the school. Um, the same is true in the, in, in the liberal arts colleges. Um, so suffice it to say, there is typically a, a process. Um, it is a different process based on the school. 
uh, and the way that their athletics and admissions offices work together. Typically, one of the things that we do with college counseling at my firm is, is seek to understand the specifics of that based on the schools that mm -hmm. kids are applying to. Right. Every school is going to be different. Um, they're going to have their own way of classifying recruits, whether the terminology that you may hear as a prospective student athlete is slots or bands or scholarships. Like there's a lot of different terms that can be thrown around, um, but every school is going to be different. You want to make sure that you ask um, all the questions that you have just so you're not trying to figure that out on your own. Because trust me, as somebody who has worked in a couple different areas, every school is different. And the more clarity you can have as a prospective athlete, not necessarily in where you rank as a recruiting class that they're looking at, but just how, how they're going to support your application through the admissions process is going to be pretty important. David, do you have any notes on, on um, just, just to throw this in, um, well, we both worked with, with, a, with a very bright kid this last year um, who was not a rower. And... I was I was shocked by the admissions outcomes that he saw. He he ultimately saw a reasonable one, um, but I was shocked by the lack of uh, the number of of admit letters that he saw. Um, and you had said to me, "Well, that's just because you normally work work with rowers." And so I just wondered if you had any words about effectively kind of the advantage that some a hook like that provides. I'm not sure I understand the question. You're talking about how advantageous it is to be a recruited rower? I'm, I'm talking about the, yes, I'm talking, sometimes I talk to a parent who says, well, my student already has the grades required and the SAT oh. required. For oh, I get school. it. Okay. Yeah. If we're talking about the top schools, the Ivy League and Ivy League-esque, you know, the Stanford's, the MIT's, the Caltech's, and the Ivy's, et cetera. Um, it is staggeringly competitive to get into those programs. So you can have, you know, um, incredibly strong academics, incredible backgrounds, and still be rejected or deferred or denied or whatever you want to call it at any of these schools. Um, and the reason is there's just too many talented students applying for too few available spots. Um, and so rowing can be massively important um, because it puts you in a different category. So if you're a recruited athlete, it puts you in a whole different place than if you're not a recruited athlete. And if you're, you don't have anything special, if you're the terminology that's used uh, is unhooked. So if you're not hooked and you're a typical applicant applying to these top institutions, um, it can be very, very difficult to get in. And, um, you know, you've, you've got to take tactics to try to make sure that you're applying broadly enough that you'll get into a couple of schools because the amount of competitiveness at the top cannot be overstated. Right. And I think it's important to note too, and, and David, maybe you can weigh in on this. Um, you know, as my experience as a recruiter, you know, I've certainly dealt with the two ideas of whether they're a fully supported athlete or a, a soft support. And, you know, my more recent years, you know, the landscape is getting away from soft support just due to varsity blues and, and everything that came as a fallout after that. But what I was always under the impression and working with our admissions office is, you know, I can submit a name like two admissions to say, Hey, if this guy's on the cusp or this gal's on the cusp, um, it gives them a, another tie, another small string 
to be pulled that other average students, non-recruited athletes have. So it is worth it to ask if the school provides soft support, if they're not gonna fully support your application, but by putting any type of connection to the university on your application is going to make, or I should say could make the world of difference. And once you get to a school, it doesn't matter in terms of rowing, it doesn't matter how you got there, right? You can try out, you can work your butt off. We've had walk-ons, I've coached programs that we've had walk-ons go straight up into the V8, like by their second year, just by nature of who they were, so. Yeah, and the other thing that's somewhat unfortunate is it differs so much from school to school. Correct. I was working earlier today with a rugby player from England. Um, and if you apply to rugby, it's not a um, varsity sport. And it typically doesn't do you a lot of good. But there's certain schools, in this instance, it was Brown, where it can be tremendously helpful. Mm -hmm. And soft support can be tremendously helpful for a talented applicant. So um, the reason firms like mine and like yours, like Ryan's, um, exist is partly because of this process. And it's unfortunately so complicated. And having that expertise and having that, that very specific knowledge um, is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to, I used to work at a school in England called St. Paul's, which is a very academic school. And we used to joke about Harvard. And our joke was, if Harvard had their choice of a 17-year-old Nobel Prize winner, or had their choice of the top rower in England, who would they prefer? And we kind of made a joke of it, and we said, ah, probably a wash, indifferent <laughs> between the two. Um, so having that insight and having that knowledge and having the, um, the specific information um, is a little bit unfair, unfortunately, but very, very important. Right, right. Well, in talking a little bit about admissions, David, I'm going to push this question to you. You know, what, is it better to go ED, EA, or RD? Like, can you talk about the trends of what you see with people who apply ED versus RD and, and what like, sure. is there an appropriate time to make a decision? Yeah, the trends are horrible. Um, and what the trends are is they're pushing more and more people to go early rather than regular. And again, this is something else that is not fair to people who don't have the resources, who are late in the game, who mm -hmm. haven't been able to do that. First thing is if you're going to go early decision, as you know, it's binding. So really make certain that you want to go to that school. Because if you are admitted, you are pledging, and that's a very important, serious pledge, to attend. So make sure that's your first pick. And make sure there's not financial aid implications, which could mean that even if it is your first pick, you're going to have to want to have multiple opportunities. But if you are sure that there's a school you want to go to, early decision meaningfully increases the odds. So a school like Middlebury near where Katie used to work, or a school like Claremont McKenna, the admit rates, regular decision at those schools are six to 7%. Mm -hmm. The early decision admit rates at those schools are over 30%. So think of that. You apply two months earlier, you pledge that if admitted, you will attend, and your chances of, go, 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 of getting in, and I know the applicant pools are not exactly the same, but basically go up by four to five times. 
So it's vital if you can come to the opinion, the conclusion of having an ED choice to really consider that hard, um, unless you have a very good sense that you're gonna get in to other places for a variety of reasons. EA I is just important. I usually, I'll finish up quickly, Ryan, I know I've gone on. EA no. usually does not uh, increase your chances that much. It's non-binding. The big benefit there is timing. The big thing to decide is on early decision. Go ahead. I just wanted you to repeat those figures because you, you kind of blinked out given the internet connection. I just want people to understand the difference between the BRD admit rates and the ED admit rates one more time. Yeah. Okay. This is not every school, but I'm, I'm using some outliers. And the outliers I choose, chose were Middlebury and Claremont McKenna, two very academic, two superb, two difficult schools to be admitted to. At those schools, the regular decision admit rate is six to 7%. In other words, they take one out of every 15 or 16 applicants, okay? If you apply early decision, the admit rate's over 30%. So it's four to five times as great. Staggering differences. Now, not all schools are that egregious in the difference, but even when they're not, at most schools, there's a sizable difference between the early and the regular admit rate. Katie's Penn. Penn's a big ED school. They take every year over half of the class early decision. Much, much easier to get in ED than regular decision at Penn. I think it's important to note, too, that if you're being sought out by a program and you're being heavily recruited by the program and a coach says, hey, are you ready to commit? And you say yes. You give your verbal commit, whether it's, again, everybody's going to be working off their own timeline uh, for rising seniors. Maybe some of you have already committed. But regardless, if they ask you to commit and you do commit before the ED deadline, the coach is going to expect that you're going to turn in an ED application or an EA if the uh, institution doesn't have an ED option. Okay. And for them, a lot of programs will try and fill their entire roster, Coxons, Rovers included, in that ED period. Because once the roster's set, great, then they don't have to worry about it. There's some schools that may not be as competitive that will wait it out to RD, or you know, there may be a, um, a spot or two left for RD because we see international, excuse me, students um, take a little bit longer in some cases um, to go through the recruiting process. But for the most part, if you're and you're being heavily recruited by a school, it's likely that your school is going to want to ask you to um, apply ED. So to have everything prepared beforehand, so the idea of pre-reads right now for rising juniors, what the coaches are going to want to see are final grades. You know, if you have any test scores at this point, um, school profiles, rolling resumes aren't necessarily the like a huge part of it. Um, you can submit it as well, but for right now, where we are, June fifteenth. Coaches want to see your final grades, right? And so then they can start to help you figure out, all right, we need to change this class schedule for next year. We need to see something more here, right? But if you're being heavily recruited, coaches will give you some information and some knowledge, feedback, insight, however you want to phrase it, to your academic standing within their class. So, um, yeah. Um. I also think it's important to just mention something that I learned from David, which is that EA applications are unsuccessful for unsupported athletes because for, for some schools, because 
according, I don't, I don't want to get this wrong, David, but that is the round where there's a lot of special interest admits going on. And as a result, as a regular person, if you don't have a hook, that's harder to do. Is that right? Well, it's the nature of EA. Okay. EA is in there basically to give people, well, it's in there for a lot of reasons, but given that it's not binding, it's not nearly as powerful or useful to the schools as, as binding. The schools, one of the huge criteria for the schools is their yield. So what percentage of the students who are admitted will attend? And if you have 100% yield on half your applicants, your yield statistics are gonna be improved. Um, so on early action, you're getting in early, it doesn't mean you're gonna attend that school. It's much softer and much less important. And for that reason, it's not so critical or not so helpful to your admissions chances. In most cases, again, there's differences. If you apply to Tulane, for example, Tulane, you almost have to apply ED1, ED2, or EA if you want to get into that school. The admit rate RD is very, very low. So again, it's unfortunate, but you've got to know the specifics of the school you're dealing with. Right. right. David, I won't hold it against you. You, uh, I'm going to correct this for the viewers out there. It wasn't Middlebury, it was UVM. And since Middlebury was a big rival of UVM, I'm going to go ahead and make that clear. <laughs> no, I knew, I knew you went to UVM, not Middlebury. I was just saying that part of the world. Got it. That's fair. Just say for all those UVM like alumni out there, just checking. Um, <laughs> with these last couple minutes, I know that we're a little bit over time. I one of the big things that we wanted to touch upon are, you know, what can we expect to change? You know, given the landscape, given everything that's going on, there's going to be a lot of change. And frankly, a lot of the time you're gonna hear, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, we're waiting and seeing. But based on what we know, I would want all of us to kind of go around and, and David, you're especially going to be extremely helpful from just the purely admission standpoint. Um, but Ryan, I'll go ahead and start to touch upon, you know, what I see and what we can expect to change. Um, you know, there's some programs out there, rowing programs that have been completely cut. Um, you know, Ohio Wesleyan, for an example, unfortunately, is not going to have a program. There's a couple other programs that are up on the chopping blocks, but, you know, rowing can be seen as a as a protected sport because of its Title IX regulations. Women's rowing um, almost has a security blanket with football um, because their rosters can be so big, but there are a lot of things that are still being worked out. Second assistants may not be on, there may be hiring freezes, the coaching staff may look a little bit different, the day-to-day -day operations may be a little bit different. But as recruiting goes, one thing that we've talked about as counselors with Sparks, and uh, Ryan and I were on a call earlier, is you want to be prepared to make a decision without going on an official visit. I don't think official visits are going to operate in the same fashion that they did. So if a coach offers you a spot, you need to think to yourself, all right, what do I need to ask now? So if that comes, then I'm going to be okay in making a yes or no decision. So to know that the traditional operations and the traditional practices that say even were as early as last year, they're going to be completely different. So all in all, can you make a decision without visiting the school? So that, that would be my kind of recommendations. Ryan, what do you want to add to that? I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell is that I think the hardest thing to do is make a good decision about where to go to college, particularly if you, you know, if you do have five official visits lined up 
uh, and or you would have five official visits lined up because the majority of recruits don't make decisions until they kind of spend time with the energy of that institution, of that team, of that coach, of, the, of their teammates, then they know. But it takes that kind of that final official visit to get that. And without getting that, you have to look for ways that you can get that anyway. If that means talking to people on the team, that means talking to people on the team. If it means talking with the coaching staff, uh, I know a number of staffs that have actually kind of started to initiate uh, that in, in hopes, I think, of giving recruits a much better feel or maybe competitively giving them a better feel than, uh, of their teams and their competitors. Um, but suffice it to say that, that um, you have to kind of consider that if you're a rising senior right now and you're in the recruiting process, it's something really important um, that we, you know, it's, it's very possible we may not have official visits. And if we do, you may only get half of them we don't, we just don't know. So I think Katie rounded it up nicely. I want to leave room for David. Okay. I have three points I want to make. Um, the first is I'm extremely sympathetic to what young people are going through today. It's an incredibly difficult time. There's huge uncertainty. Um, and I feel badly about it. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, I'm going to make a bold statement. It has never been easier to be admitted to a strong university or college. Say it again. It has never been easier. Okay. Why is that? Well, it's, it's a long thing, but mostly because, um, and this has been the case even before COVID, um, supply demand. Um, there's a lot of universities out there. They're in, they continue to be a number of them at a very high quality. It's very tough for professors to get jobs. So you have very good professors mm -hmm. who are going to universities which are kind of not the big name brand universities. So you get consistent good teaching at a whole lot of different places. Mm -hmm. And if you look recently in the Midwest at a lot of very good schools, you mentioned Ohio Wesley, Beloit, Kalamazoo, I could mention a lot of them not the biggest names, but very good institutions. The admit rates are extraordinarily high and they also discount heavily, meaning they give what they call merit-based scholarships. Um, so that was the case before COVID and now with COVID, it's putting a lot of people under financial duress. Um, the colleges are among them. They are stressed, they are losing revenues, they wanna stay open. And there's a lot of, there's a supply demand imbalance. You know, you're losing kids from overseas. And so, I, again, I can't do this justice in a short uh, time like this. And I know we're running out, but never been easier. Third, given the caveat that it's difficult, take control of the situation. You can take control, you can do things, you can reach out because of the change and because of the uncertainty. You can talk to universities. They're not as busy as they used to be. Their admissions people aren't traveling. Um, we, I, I was on with three universities today, very good universities, usually this time of year. You can never get a hold of them. They were back to me within an hour. Hmm. So really there's the opportunity to do things and carve things out and educate yourself and learn. Students have extra time right now, so you can learn now. And it's difficult, but it can be done. I, David, I think that you, 
you provide a lot more insight and a really awesome uh, resource for our listeners to be able to talk about the admissions trends and, and you know, what you see and what's forecasted. So I'm sure that you're going to continue to be our wealth of information <laughs> that we're going to pass off to our, our clients, our coaches and, and everything else. So to kind of wrap up the, the way that I want to do this is within the three of us, you know, what's the biggest piece of advice to any athletes who are going to get recruited or David for you, like biggest piece of advice in applying to schools. Um, Ryan, I'm going to kick it off with you. What do you like in a very short summary? What's the best piece of advice that you can, that you would give athletes? My piece of my advice would normally be to stay engaged. Um, particularly if you're a coxswain, but now that's more important than ever. It's going to be your competitive differentiator with COVID controlling things. If you're able to find, get yourself to a place to where you can create that narrative for yourself, it's going to make a big difference. Uh, regardless of what year you are, stay in touch with the sport, just make that effort and you will, you will benefit from it. I promise. Right. David, what would you say is your biggest piece of advice as people start to navigate through the college application process? Relax. There's much too much stress. The stress is not necessary. As mentioned, there's loads of great universities. Go after it, work hard, do well, life will be fine. David just teed me up pretty well. I'd like to point out that anybody, whether you're an athlete trying to get recruited, whether you're a student applying to college, everybody's on their own timeline. You know, we talk about the ideals of where you should be or, you know, what the trend is, what the average is. But when it comes down to it, you're the one that's in the driver's seat. You decide when you want to accelerate and when you want to go faster and try and make a decision. You also have the ability to break if things get rough and you need some time to think. So this isn't going to be perfect. You're on your own journey. Don't compare yours to somebody else's. It's your journey. So Ryan, I'll let you kind of wrap up. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I mean, we, we have a big number of resources uh, between the book I mentioned, which is called Collegiate Rowing Recruiting. If you email us, I'll give you a free copy. It's on Amazon now. Um, and uh, we have a podcast. Uh, I believe we're on episode 11 at this point. Um, and uh, we also have Cox and e-learning. We have counseling, um, obviously. Uh, any number of resources and that free database online. We also have a podcast, new series podcast coming out as well, coming July 5th, where we will be bringing on people who are connected to the rowing world, but may not be current professionals. So that's coming out July 5th, Sparked by Rowing. There's a there's the plug for the day. Um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Um, we'll certainly be excited to do another couple of these over time goes on, but um, I'm going to end with uh, David's advice. Just relax. It's all going to be okay. Take a breath. Take each day as it comes because as we all know, every day is going to be different. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you soon. And we're off. I think we're off Facebook. Are we? You're still on, you're still on mute, Danielle. That was great. I was eating my dinner Watching you guys. It was the best dinner show I've ever seen. Yeah. Woo! Okay, I can turn Really good. Um, so I record... Oh, let me stop this recording, too. Uh,